Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, a graduate school professor, a former seminary president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Thank you for joining us today, listeners. Um, You know already, because you've seen the episode title, what we're going to talk about today. So you know we're going to dive into the world of yoga. Yoga is just so widely practiced that it's difficult to meet anyone who hasn't done it. Um, And it's a sense- Oh, okay. All right. Of course, Jim. <laughs> um, but it is such an essential part of everybody except for Jim. No, I'm just kidding. A lot of people's mental well-being in addition to their physical health. Um, so much, in fact, um, so much, in fact, that it might not be intuitive as to why on a podcast dedicated to setting the intersection between church and culture, we're going to be talking about yoga. So to get to that, I thought it would be perhaps productive if we start with the history of yoga, because I think that's going to bring into view why today's conversation is relevant to this podcast. So Jim, can you walk us through a little bit of the origin of yoga? Yeah, I think it's actually one of the most, one of the more um, uh, pressing issues to talk about with church and culture. And I think that we'll, we'll get into why in, uh, as we go through this podcast. And but let me go ahead and start us off with some things that maybe people don't know. Yoga is a Hindu practice that is rooted, um, it's a spiritual practice that's rooted in Hinduism. And so it's not just exercises, it's a, it's a spiritual practice rooted in Hinduism. The Hindu idea of universal energy or Brahman uh, force marks it. And in Hindu thought that manifests itself in over 330 million gods. There's three main gods in Hindu thinking. Um, there is Brahma, there's Vishnu, and there's Siva. And when, if you ever heard people kind of go, uh, and it's sometimes it's caricatured, you know, in skits, but people go like, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's often a part of yoga can be, um, it's actually, uh, spelt or transliterated A-U-M, not O-M, but A-U-M and A-U-M stand for the letters. Each one represents those three main gods. So you're actually saying the name of Hindu gods. Every time you make that chant or you make that meditative thing, you're saying Brahma, Vishnu, and Siva and representing them. The key idea uh, in much of Hindu thinking, and it can be esoteric and difficult sometimes for people in the West to get their hands around it, but let me see if I can simplify it. One of the big ideas is that you have this impersonal energy force, and the, the philosophy is, well, one is all, and all is one. Translate that to theology, God is all, all is God. And uh, yoga, through the Hindu, is how you get in touch with your divinity how you get in touch with your, with your godhood. In fact, the word yoga itself means yoking, mm. uh, being brought together, a union, and what it is you're becoming unified with uh, is Brahman. And so um, it's, it's, it's pretty heavy stuff. Yeah, well, what you just described, though, sounds very different from the type of yoga that's practiced, at least here in the U.S. So how did yoga make its way, I mean, geographically, even to the, the U.S., and how did it transform at it as it as it made its way this way? Yeah, I mean, yoga really took off, uh, took America by storm in the 19th and particularly 20th century. And a lot of Eastern ideas came, I'd say, with a lot of force during the 1960s. They were introduced almost like a pop culture phenomenon. Mm. 
And, um, and it was pitched largely. I mean, the mainstream idea of yoga was pitched. I think initially in the 1960s, a lot of that stuff was pitched to actually, you know, be overtly spiritual, to actually embrace Eastern religions and the Eastern worldviews. But for the typical American, uh, and I'll speak to the American context, even though I know we have listeners in, uh, from around the world, but um, it was pitched more for physical and mental health. It really was just pure stretching, breathing, a really good exercise, and people didn't think about it too much more than that. But that's one of the problems, because um, there, there's a divide between the East and the West. I'm gonna, this is extremely simplistic, but I, I, I think I could make a, if I had time, I'd, I could make a case for this, that in the East, you, you act your way into things. In the West, you tend to think your way into things. And that's a big East-West divide. And so for someone who is um, in the East, for example, um, everything about yoga is the actions are deeply meaningful. I mean, it's, it's, it's deeply symbolic gestures designed to indoctrinate you into Hindu philosophy, uh, Hindu, philosophy Hindu worldview, uh, Hindu thinking, um, and the invitation into the oneness of that energy force. And uniting yourself with Brahman. Uh, Americans, people in the West don't tend to think that way. For us, we, 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 we think our way into things. We don't act our way into things. But then that's also one of the reasons why a friend of mine in India, a Christian um, missionary in India, uh, who's a native Indian, but he's there working, actually he's one of Mex 2.0 partners that we, but uh, he one time told me that people in India, Hindus there consider yoga their greatest evangelistic tool for the West because Americans so enter into it so unthinkingly and they don't realize it, but to the Hindu, they know exactly what's going on with that. And so they welcome it. Oh, interesting. So basically what, I, what I'm hearing too, is that we can't just simply categorize the yoga from the East as something altogether different from the yoga from the West. Although there are different, um, yeah, they do look different that we haven't completely in, in, a, in a matter of speaking, like shed all of the old clothes of yoga and transformed it into something altogether different, but rather we have held on to some of its practices. You already mentioned, you know, the practice of using OM, you know, in yoga. Um, what are some other things that come to mind there of things we've held on to? Yeah. And if I was a quicker thinker, I could come up with a good joke about your line about shedding old clothes and yoga pants, but <laughs> oh, we'll gosh. leave that one. <laughs> Um, you know, there, there is a lot that is there that people don't realize. For example, yoga often opens with a series of moves or positions known as the Surya Namaskar. And these are positions designed to invite the Hindu sun god Surya to invite them, their presence and, and into your life, into your world. Um, and so a lot of people don't realize that that's what they're doing when they're engaging those positions. Another thing is that you're often told or taught to teach, and it's on, sometimes seen by many as just this innocent little kind of thing that adds a little Eastern flair to it, that you greet each other with by saying namaste. Mm -hmm. Well, that's Sanskrit for I bow down to the God within you. Ooh. Not exactly something Christians should be saying to each other. Sure. Um, and then there's also just blatantly occultic and new age things. I mean, for example, breathe in positive energy, exhale negative energy. I mean, that's not exactly Christian stuff hmm. and, um, and gets into a lot of new age ideas about channeling and energy and forces and powers and things that just have nothing to do with the Christian faith. And so you're right. I mean, uh, even when we 
think to ourselves, this is just an, a, an airbrushed set of exercises. Uh, it's often not. Right. Well, and we've, I even mentioned at the beginning, you know, as much as we might say that, oh, we're just doing it for the physical benefits, that that hasn't been, that hasn't proved to be true. There is something else to it. Maybe it's not overtly, I'm going for a spiritual experience, but people do feel like it's a part of their mental well being to do yoga based on what you just talked about of like breathing out, you know, bad energy and breathing in good energy. So I hope I'm not like chasing a rabbit here, but like, what do you think it is then that people are looking to yoga for if it's not? spirituality per se. See, Alexis, I think it is, a lot of it is spirituality. And in some ways, I I once um, read a a fascinating article where the person described this individual going through what you would have thought was a church experience, a religious experience. And at the end, kind of teases you by saying, no, that was actually a yoga class. And um, so I do think that people are I mean, they're attracted to yoga. I think there's always a, an attraction of the West to the East, just like if you're in the East, there's an attraction to the West. I mean, they think the things that we're doing are amazing and, and hip and cool and never thought of before. So a lot of it's just your own personal context. Um, but uh, one of the things that I do find increasingly in our culture is that people are craving a spiritual experience, but they want it free of religion and doctrine and dogma. And they don't realize, as Dorothy Sayers once wrote brilliantly, the dogma is the drama. I mean, you can't just take that out. I mean, you, 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 you don't, you can't have that kind of hollow experience and call it anything really related to true spirituality. Um, and so, but people are looking for that. They want to feel spiritual. They want to feel like they've done something soulish that they, and if they can go to a yoga class, and feel like they've done something um, physical that's good for them, that makes them feel good. And they also felt kind of spiritualish about it. Uh, hey, that's a win-win in their, mm-hmm. in their minds. Yeah. And we, we brought up in another podcast episode about Christians leaving church and essentially looking for religious experiences elsewhere. We mentioned yoga kind of um, just in passing, but this you're, you're speaking exactly to this. In fact, I'm going to um, link in the show notes that blog that you had mentioned because you um, interestingly titled it the unofficial religion of America um, and then ending with, oh, this is actually a yoga class and not a worship service. Um, so do you, I don't know, do you have any other thoughts about that? Oh, I that? do. Thank Ooh, you. Okay. I'm so glad you raise this. Um, I, I have long held, and when, I, when I've said this in various conferences or seminars or, or wherever, uh, you know, um, there's almost, sometimes people just look at you like, what? And then you start helping them connect the dots and then they get it. Here's, here's what I've long held. Hinduism, its tenets and its theology is the unofficial religion of the West. It is. It's the unofficial secular religion, although it's not secular, of the West. Um, just think about it. Where, like, and so if someone says, okay, I don't buy that. Have you ever heard of the force? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The entire theology and worldview of Star Wars is largely Hinduism. George Lucas, who created it, studied Hinduism and had studied Hindu philosophy and imported it all in there. Have you seen the Matrix movies? Welcome to Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Avatar? Welcome to Hinduism. Mm-hmm. I can't begin to tell you how this is the unofficial pop culture religion of the West. Whenever you, you see some of these ideas that just permeate pop culture, what people don't realize is it's Hinduism. It's a form of or taken from an aspect of Hinduism. And so, you know, that reminds me, you know, it would be a fun podcast, maybe even an annual one, is that we, we tackle the worldview and philosophy and religious background 
behind the top films. Oh, yeah. Because uh, so many people don't realize they're just sitting there thinking this is a popcorn movie or, or they, they, they lower their guard when they go into a darkened theater or even when they download it on Netflix in their home. They don't realize that there might be an extremely sophisticated worldview being put forward on them, not to mention moral worldviews. But um, and so you really that, that would be fun. That'd be some fun discussion, oh, yeah. especially but, getting into kids movies. And yeah. And oh, oh yeah, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, I mean, everything that's happening right now with the new Buzz Lightyear one is is causing quite a bit of talk. Yeah. Uh, and um, and even when it's just trying to slip in a hidden agenda, mm-hmm. you know, but um, but yes, I, 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 I stand by the fact that Hinduism is the unofficial pop culture religion of the West. I can imagine at this point, if not already, we've got some listeners who who do practice yoga and enjoy practicing yoga and are starting to get a little bit frustrated because it sounds like what you're saying is you shouldn't practice yoga. So let me let you clarify what you're trying to say with regards to the practice of yoga. There is nothing demonic about putting your leg behind your neck, except that it might hurt like hell. Oh. <laughs> so <laughs> let's just go and get that out of the way. Uh, stripped of its origins, stripped of, of its Hindu philosophy, reduced to stretches and, and breathing and free of all the stuff people are putting into it. I mean, uh, I think Christian yoga classes even are prevalent and they're fine. I mean, you can Christianize, you can baptize a lot of this stuff. And I'm not, I'm not one that has sees any problem with that. Uh, Hindu yoga, though, is I have a deep problem with for all the reasons mentioned. And it's really interesting that that when someone says, so, so like, how, how would you separate Hindu and Christian yoga? Is, is it mm-hmm. just because you play Christian music in the background or something like that? No. The, the, here's another big East-West divide. Um, Eastern meditation, which is very occultic in nature, much of almost all Eastern religions are, are borderline occultic, but Eastern religions, um, you empty your mind with meditation. I mean, the whole goal is to empty yourself, which makes you open to outside things. Oh, sure. Yeah. But in Western Christian meditation, you fill your mind purposefully with things like scripture and, and you purposefully fill, you don't, you don't empty, you fill. There are two radically different approaches to meditation. And so, you know, Christian yoga designed to fill your mind with, you know, things of God in scripture, and um, that is freed of all of the Hindu philosophy and, and, and maybe even rethink some of the positions that are so blatantly tied to calling on Hindu gods, and, but still captures the essence of, of the, the form, then um, yeah, I mean, why not? I, I t- there was a series that we did. It's one of the funnest I've done, and I'm, I'm going to do it again, only with a whole different batch of topics. But we did a series, and I think you'll remember this, called, Is It Okay for a Christian to... Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. And I, it was like eight weeks. And when I, even at the eighth week, people were saying, tell me we're not ending this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, I'm just waiting for more. And it was like, is it okay for a Christian to, I think it was smoke marijuana. Mm-hmm. Is it okay for a Christian to uh, attend a gay wedding? Is it okay for a Christian to get a tattoo? Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the topics was, is it okay for a Christian to practice yoga? Mm-hmm. And so we could, we got to link that in the show notes as yeah. well. But the whole premise is, is that, it helps a Christian think through. Um, in fact, that would be a great podcast. Just answering the question: How do you know what's okay for a Christian to do in our culture yeah. when it when it's not all these neat and tidy little divides? Sure. You know, um, 
people are going to feel like we're in a production meeting here talking about <laughs> music. But uh, it comes to us many times when we're having these conversations. But sure. um, but there is there's there's like there's like a series of steps, series of grids that I've outlined that you can walk through that helps you know okay what is it okay for a Christian to do? What's okay? What's what's not okay for a Christian mm-hmm. to do? And uh, so. Well, I want to play with that a little bit, just in, I don't know, to offer a little bit of that now. Um, and then as a teaser for people to look more deeply into it, because what I'm wondering is if Christians could be hearing what you're saying and some would respond and saying, listen, I appreciate the warning, but I, I'm mature enough in my faith to participate in a yoga class, even if it is like an overtly Hindu yoga class and not be swayed by it. So do you think that that could be legitimate, that some people could take that and, and be like, yeah, I, I'm fine. I can distinguish between the two and I, I don't need to seek out a Christian yoga class. Yeah, yeah. Let me put my pastor's hat on. Scripture says have nothing to do with the world of the occult, have nothing to do with darkness, have nothing to do with anything related to uh, sorcery or witchcraft or anything related to demons or, I mean, just every aspect of the world of the occult. Scripture is very clear saying to uh, Christians have nothing to do. That mean flee, run, don't have anything to do with it. So uh, any Christian who says, well, I'm strong enough to dabble with the occult and be okay, and make no mistake, Hinduism is tied to the occult. Yoga in its pure form of Hinduism is, is you're, you're, you're calling on gods, you're calling on energy forces, you're calling on trying to unify with, with this universal energy force. And, and it's, it's, I mean, that's occultic. I mean, it's, it's using breathing and positions and, and meditations to tap into some kind of cosmic energy force. And there's only two types of force, only two sources of power. There's God, and then there is the world of the demonic. And so for you to enter into the world of demonic, patting yourself on the back, because you're supposedly spiritually strong enough for it or sophisticated enough for it, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this, and I say it lovingly, but that's foolish. Hmm. And, 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 and I, I would, with every ounce of energy within me as a pastor, would say, uh, um, oh, have nothing to do with it and flee it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because um, nothing could be more dangerous than to dabble with the occult. The Christian cannot be possessed, but the Christian can be oppressed. And if you open up the door to the occult, the occult will enter. Mm. Well, and it just occurred to me too, I wonder, especially since people usually attend yoga classes, that there's not like an evangelistic component to this as well, where it could get a little confusing, especially if some people are there because of the spiritual nature of it, seeing someone who yeah. would be a self-proclaimed um, Christian, not blinking an eye about it. I wonder if that might, I don't know. No, I, I, you know, that. and you know, you cut me, I bleed evangelism and you know it, and you know, I'd crawl over broken glass to reach unchurched people. Um, but the one, the line that you draw is when you cease to be the influencer and you become the influenced. The line that you draw is where you go, where you've been told by scripture, don't go. So like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to dabble in the occult to reach people who are in the occult. There's other ways to reach people who are in the occult without putting myself into a position where I'm actually participating in an occultic endeavor. I mean, I mean, if you've got a friend who's going to a yoga class, you don't have to go to the yoga, this, you know, a, a validly Hindu-based one. You don't have to go to the Hindu class to reach that friend. You can just simply just say, hey, look, what are you doing for coffee Monday at 10? And let's just talk and be friends or whatever. I mean, it doesn't have to be based on that. Yeah. And so I think for a Christian, the evangelistic component, uh, that has to end at the doorstep of participating in things that dishonor God that we've been forbidden to participate in. Hmm. That's a good warning. 
Um, I have got one last question because as a parent, I have seen that yoga is increasingly being implemented in schools um, for physical, for mental benefits of children. I'm curious, is that something that you think we as parents should be concerned about or like how do we express concern there or I don't know. Or is After it everything I've else? said, I know. <laughs> should parents <laughs> be concerned like about that? Question. Yes, yes, yes. Hmm. Um, it's introducing your child to a Hindu practice. Let's just be honest. That's what it is. You're introducing your child to what is arguably the greatest evangelistic tool Hinduism has. And <clears throat> the leadership of someone who may or may not be a Christian and certainly may or may not be able to in a secular school system, they can't insert Christianity in there. And if they're teaching it in a course or bringing someone in to teach this to students, they might be teaching the kids to say namaste or singing this or breathe in energy or do all this, I mean, all this stuff that, you know, the teacher sent sitting around watching their kids go through it, aren't even thinking about. And, and, you know, if you're an informed Christian, you, you're horrified. You, you, you've just made my child or had my child participate in something that, you know, for me, it's not simply Hinduism. That's bad enough because that's not my faith. And I don't want my child indoctrinated in that. And it has nothing to do with their education, but I think it's a cultic. And so this is like dangerous. Like this is a loaded gun. I, I, I would, I would not just be concerned. I'd pitch a fit mm-hmm. and I would not let my child do that. Yeah. I, I think too, I, I imagine some parents listening to this and be like, Oh, that just, that seems like a big step to like have to write a note to my teacher that I don't want my child's teacher that I don't want them to participate this in this, but it's like, welcome to living well, in you know, this century. Me, as you, know, a I, you know, let me, let me take the bait. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and sound like the, uh, a cranky old man and, or even more important, a, a father of four and a grandfather of 14. And when you get at this stage, you, 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 you mince words less, <laughs> I think. Um, but I, I, I'll, you know, a parent will go crazy over a child's peanut allergy and they don't mind writing notes. They don't mind all the rigmarole of that, or they'll go nuts over. I don't want my child to, to participate in this particularly. And others, there's all these things that are so much more minor mm. compared to your child dabbling in the world of the occult mm. or, or, you know, being introduced in, in what arguably could be called an evangelistic tool for Hinduism. And, and so if, if that's just, you know, if a parent is thinking, and I know we're making up a mythical parent here, most parents wouldn't fall into this category, but if there is someone who says, oh, that's just a lot of hassle, well, you do it for things that are a lot less important. Sure. And so I would elevate this one very, very, very high. And, and again, that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's another podcast, Alexis, where we could talk about just how, how, because I just read a, a really fascinating cultural study uh, um, about how, where parents were asked to rate what matters most to them in terms of their child. And I was horrified. I was horrified. Matters of faith came in last. Matters of mental health and some aspects of character came in first and top and success stuff came in top, but faith uh, uh, just about at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's, there's a prioritization there that parents need to understand that, that that's an inverted scale. Well, <laughs> I, I, I just feel like I know people probably have like but what if, but what if kind of questions? So I'm just going to say, you can direct those questions to Jim. <laughs> and I feel like he's going to give the standard response of what is the email address that you direct people to, to, I don't care dot. <laughs> um, something like that. Yeah. Oh, email them there. Yeah. But no, I mean, I hope that this is, if you, especially if you do practice yoga and it is essential to you, I do feel like hopefully 
we've provided enough context where it's the why behind maybe this is something that you should look into some more or the it's worth it to even if it does mean um, going to a different studio or yeah, or, go to a different studio that takes yeah. that stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you for unpacking this. And as always, thank you guys for listening. Um, and we can't wait to have you join us again next time. Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.